bringing European SaaS together was the initial premise for SaaS Talk. Even in its first year, we outgrew that proposition with attendees from over 30 countries, making it a global conference with a European heart. SaaS Talk will be returning to Dublin in October 2022, and our super early bird tickets are on sale now, saving you 400 euros. Grab yours by visiting sastock.com forward slash sastock dash 2022. From zero to one million, even I, I was doing all kinds of things and wearing multiple hats. So I worked with the partner program, helped with the website, worked in support, worked in inside sales, worked in customer success. So kind of like wearing multiple hats and, and you know, building the process from all perspectives and then slowly starting to hire one or two people to each of these steps in the in the process. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Zero to Ten Special. Uh, Jarko Palanen, uh, CRO at Leadfeeder. Welcome, Jarko. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here, my friend. Yeah, good to good to have you on the podcast. It's been well, twenty nineteen since we uh, last saw each other in person. I think that was uh, at Slush, um, and uh, I was I was very tired after uh, after that event. Uh, but it was a, a, a lot of good fun and. Um, yeah, great to have you on the podcast on the the, the zero to ten special. Um, where obviously you're you're on here because you recently uh, crossed uh, that milestone or earlier this year. Um, so congrats on that, and good to see because I think when we were discussing in Dublin at SaaS Society, uh, which is the the, the post event for SaaS Talk, you, you you sort of mentioned that uh, had you not crossed ten million in, in ARR. Uh, that you'd uh, fire yourself, so I'm I'm very happy to see that uh, that you've still got a job. Yeah, yeah, I still still do, still do, and yeah, those were great times at SaaS Society and, and SaaS Talk overall, and and uh, yeah, time has has flown, um, and um, yeah, crossed 10 million earlier this year. Haven't yet fired myself, and uh, happy about that too. And I think the investors and everybody else are happy too. So yeah, in a good flow right now and uh this year this year is looking looking good too great well it was a great a great milestone that's what we're going to get uh, deep into but before we do uh why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself who is uh Jarko Palanen? yes so Jarko, i am from uh helsinki finland um been with the uh, lead feeder over six years now so joined pretty much after the founders uh, with a team of four. And now we are grown to around 130 people in the company. Um, have a background in Master of Science. So a bit of a business slash IT background from there. Um, worked in various SaaS, Finnish SaaS companies before joining Leadfeeder and, and basically have grown through our growth journey and, and scaled basically myself every every year to the to the next level at least try to <laughs> try to do that and uh, currently looking after our new all new revenue channels and customer success and support team so basically both sides of the growth and making sure we grow 
as fast as possible, sustainably, but as fast as possible. And you're not only 10 million in revenue plus 100 people worldwide now, so a fully remote company from the beginning? Yeah, exactly. So fully remote since, you know, the early years, 2014, um, around 130 people around Europe and, and US. And um, yeah, basically, we've been remote since the get-go and uh, truly born global company. So didn't start really from uh, Finnish market, but uh, elsewhere. And um, yeah, that has been a successful choice. And as we can now see, many companies are moving to that remote direction after this uh, COVID. Definitely. I mean, it's interesting, actually, that you were you know, fully remote since 2014. Also, product-led growth uh you know uh companies since uh 2014 as well so pioneers in in that respect because now it, it's becoming i mean plg is almost table stakes uh and remote you, you know is the i don't know the the soup du jour everybody's talking about you know being a remote company or digital first or, or whatever so uh lead feeder um you know pioneers in in, in that respect um uh and, and actually what whilst i knew you were a remote organization I didn't know it was necessarily from uh, 2014. So interesting to see uh, with obviously where, where uh, the world is and SaaS is in 2021. Going back to 2014, or in fact, actually 2012, uh, when the idea of Lead Feeder was formed, can you give us a bit more of insight into that Lead Feeder founding story? Yeah, sure. So uh, Beck, our CEO, already worked with web analytics over 10 years before Lead Feeder was was founded and, and he actually sold his previous web analytics business, Snoopy, around 2012. Basically, the idea of, of Lead Feeder, which is generating leads from, from website traffic, uh, already came back in the days when uh, his father used to have a furniture store um, that uh, he built the website for. And, and uh, you know, visitors came to the site, but he was always wondering, like, who's behind this traffic and how could I convert this? into visible traffic and, and, you know, point them more sales and um, overall identify who they, who they are. And at that time already became the sort of reverse IP world um, where IP address can be turned into company name and, and we can know how many people from that company and which company it was from which location and use that as the, as an intent data for sales, sales teams. But at that same time, around 2012, uh, Google Analytics also started to become bigger and bigger in the world. And, and it had some of these parts of, of data that can be utilized to identify that website traffic. Um, and uh, basically at that time, we, we saw an opportunity that uh, why not to integrate with Google Analytics? So customers or prospects already have, I think, the rate was that around 80% of world's B2B websites had Google Analytics on their site at the time. So it was really easy to plug into that. People just uh, give access to it, a couple of clicks, we fetch the data. And once they land to the app, they will basically see, see the traffic and companies that visit their website. So that was kind of the early, early time story. And, and of, uh, also because of the past exit, we had a non-compete for the for the Finnish market. So that also pushed us towards this uh, born global um, ecosystem in a sense that uh, we had to go fully in, in English, not look at Finnish market, but everything else, basically. Was that, uh, I mean, hard, hard to say, or maybe you've uh, spoken about it with Becca, but if there was that 
if that non-compete or you know in Finland clause didn't exist, would the company have started you know in Finland with the Finnish market in Finnish, and could that have then impacted growth in the company? That you know, would there be a different company today had that not existed? Yeah, I think that's just a booster for it. Like, anyways, after after Snoopy, like uh, uh, we were thinking of of ways how to do this uh, product-led growth model and and not to have salespeople. So basically, selling products without salespeople was the idea back in that time. Um, and uh, during 2013, which you would call like this uh, pre-revenue phase, uh, when we started testing out the initial product, we had a lead uh, free lead feeder product. Uh, we had a website, we ran some few paid campaigns, tried to uh, push traffic to the website, get people to test out the free trial. And we did customer interviews and got some feedback and tried to improve the product bit by bit. And um, yeah, the idea at that time was just to give it out for free and gather as much information as, as possible. And everything was done in, in English. So early on, we already got a lot of... Uh, trials from UK and US and all over Europe where where there was just uh, this English speaking uh, markets. Was that how you got your first customers then through the paid ads uh, sort of acquisition strategy? Yeah, exactly. So so first customers basically came through paid paid traffic um, and uh, paid campaigns and and we also like during 2014 when is the time that we sort of were looking at the product market fit is we used uh, paid campaigns, mainly Google AdWords, uh, work with the website conversion rates, also introduced a 30 day free trial, and then took some of our features and put them behind the premium wall. So after the 30 day free trial, we dropped you to a free version, or if you put your credit card in, you get to the paid version and start paying a monthly subscription. and. And the whole idea was was to have a sort of a no-touch automation. And at that time, we first time is we started using Intercom actually to help to automate that whole onboarding process. So it was also early days for Intercom. So we've been using them also close to ten years, ten years now. But uh, that allowed us to do the real no-touch automation during the free trial phase and and also after after when they become a paid customer. So. There we tracked heavily the the retention rates and how well we can keep the customers and kept improving and kept improving and once we were happy with the retention rates and and uh, customers were coming in uh, basically I would say that that was the time towards the end of 2014 that we found the product market fit. Okay, so almost one year to get to product market fit, um, and I think as you said, well, we described a little bit in terms of how you got there, uh, but getting these customers in the free trials, doing the customer development with them on the way and iterating, iterating until you kind of really fine tune the product uh, to see that, hey, look, now we've really got something that people want and they're, they're buying it, they're telling their friends about it. We've got some real kind of traction here. Then what happened when you get product market fit? What's like the next day? Is that okay? Okay, boys, we're scaling. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so usually when you find the product market fit, it's then you know there is a potential product that customer like to use. So then it's about exploring new channels, how to start selling that for for real, basically. And and that time for us was around 2015, 2016 when we started exploring these new channels and still it was full inbound led marketing program, but we started on top of the paid campaigns, we had a content strategy 
So we launched our blog. That was the first time. And we also introduced an affiliate program um, so that those customers who were using the free product could get more extended trials if they share us in Twitter or social media. And that sort of created us a small viral viral loop. Um, so content marketing and SEO became a big focus. All of that was driving more traffic to the website. Then the website was a big conversion point that we started to optimize all the time. Also was beneficial that Becca had a heavy background in, in like web, web marketing overall. And, and uh, we were really a data-driven company from the get-go. And that's super important in product-led growth models. And then push people to the 30-day free trial again. Some of them to the no touch automation and and then basically getting getting them into paid paid customers and still around this time, I believe um, we have very little hand holding like something we did was through intercom we always had a live chat support as a backup, uh, which we still do, um, but that basically facilitated everything throughout the free trial, the website and premium customer journey. Um, so we always had a backup there in, in case of need. So 2015, 2016 was exploring these new new marketing channels, basically. Uh, and when did you first raise capital? Who was it with and, and how, how did you secure it? I think uh, that was to early 2016. When we raised the seed round, I think um, at that point, we all already started finding a bit repeatable processes in our marketing channels, and that made the investors confident then. And I think we raised around half million from uh, Vendep and Superhero Capital, so both are Finnish uh, VC companies. And um, yeah, that's basically how it got started. So Pekka financed the company before that from his own pocket, so I think it was a good time to get more outside money in and, and uh, really start scaling the business. And then how much have you raised to date? To date, I would say probably close, just around five five million. So we have been really capital efficient. Um, we haven't raised more money than what we need. And I think that has been really beneficial. So still owners and employees, we have a full control of, of what we do in the in our given, business given that you've crossed 10 million and you're capital efficient and i guess companies like mailchimp uh recently acquired the 12 billion quite a nice number um you, you know have managed to scale their businesses without raising where, where do you sit at the moment in terms of hey we want to get to 100 million but if we took more venture capital we could get there faster or actually this is it we've done it we've taken up five million we're capital efficient we want to, you know, keep control and ownership of the business to bootstrap to 100 million. So where where, where do you sit now? Careful, VCs might be this. <laughs> yeah, like, of course, it's it's still like a VC-driven business. So we we have no plans of on bootstrapping really. Like, um, we we will raise when we need it. Like, uh, of course, next up is time for Series B round, and um, you know, we we have repeatable sales and revenue channels that we can just pour more money in and it goes goes up faster and then the product development is a big big thing and there you know in the future obviously we build some parts ourselves but uh whether it makes sense to acquire some companies who knows but i think that would be roughly the strategy for the short-term future
maybe maybe one week after publishing, uh, I'm going to read in TechCrunch that Tiger Global has given 90 million to Lead Feeder. Um, <laughs> uh, Those sites, um, you know, finding out about it you through the SaaS Revolution show. So uh, finders fee. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Posted to SaaS uh, in Dublin. Uh, good stuff. And, and what about the? Let's talk about this first zero to one million. Uh, what challenges did you have to overcome? Yeah, zero, zero to one million. If I think back to time, um, as I said, like exploring those new new marketing channels, 2015, 2016, uh, we hit that one million. I think like somewhere 2017. Um, I think um, finding the repeatable models for the marketing channels was was one thing, and heavily working on the on the website and and uh, also what really ignited our growth was that we started really focusing on how to monetize these trials so that we just don't drive new trials in but we have a qualification system in place how we assign some to the salespeople and still some go to the uh, sort of a inbound no touch no touch funnel so we started um having a few of these inbound sales reps that worked only for those who sign up for trial and um, we found out, for example, that uh, if we have this 30-minute training call during the trial, uh, we had a 50% trial-to-paid conversion rate from those that we been trained, whereas on a normal level, it was 15%. So it was a big improvement. And, and then basically, we had qualification criteria in place. So we scored all the trials that come in and then assigned those based on the region and, and based on their score. To sales people order the no touch no touch funnel from the get-go really heavy on on data and analytics so we had everything we tracked basically everything so for example what we found out is that the 30-day free trial was a bit too long it didn't drive enough urgency like we saw that people do all the key activities with the product uh, adoption already in the first two weeks uh, so we figured that, hey, let's cut the trial in half. So we introduced 14-day free trial. And what we saw is that the conversion rates stay on the same level or, or even better. Um, and we get the money in faster and the whole process goes, goes faster. And we also felt confident to increase our prices at, at that point. So I think 2017, we also increased our prices around 30%, which uh, some people might might be you know, a bit scared in the early days to to raise up the prices. But again, like we track the retention rates, the adoption, all cohorts, and, and we were confident that this only can affect us positively. And obviously we tested, uh, but then we saw that it works. And and I think that was the main, main thing there from the process perspective. Um, People-wise, we had our first US hire, in the end of 2016. So even before we had anybody in the ground uh, in US, we already had our first 100 paid customers from the US market. And I think that's the testament on how well the blog and content process worked in the in the early days that we could attract people from all over the world to our website and then start the free, free trial. Um, but still from zero to 1 million, even I, I was doing all kinds of things and wearing multiple hats. So I worked with the partner program, helped with the website, 
worked in support, worked in inside sales, worked in customer success. So kind of like wearing multiple hats and, and you know, building the process from all perspectives and then slowly starting to hire one or two people to each of these steps in the, in the process. Uh, amazing. Um, so on the content marketing side of things, how often like were you publishing content uh, on the blog? Yeah, good question. I think uh, in the beginning, like, um, well, one thing is that we publish content, but we also worked with uh, PR uh, agencies. So I think it was called Inbound Junction that we worked in 2016, 17. So we got articles to TechCrunch and Forbes and, and get these nice backlinks from there. I guess at the time we published a blog maybe like once every two weeks. So it wasn't too rapid uh, but uh, we also had a big help center already or early on in the website. Um, and um, we heavily worked on the communication from the auto messages from, from Intercom. Um, so I think what one thing that was beneficial that al already in the early days, we had uh, like a kind of like a <laughs> content superstar from the writing perspective. Uh, who was a native English speaker and writer, and that can still be visible in some of, of the parts of our, our blogs, that it was a really high quality content that we produced already back in that time, even though we didn't shoot like multiple once a week. Uh, what about then, let's have a look at your journey, 1 million to 10 million, um, the kind of same, the, the challenges uh, that you had to overcome, uh, uh, maybe pick a handful of them uh, in that phase. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny when you put, you know, just from one to 10. But now when I actually before this, I looked at the at the <laughs> growth graph and, and and yeah, it's a it's a long journey from one to 10. Uh, although for many, it sounds like, yeah, you just, you know, do it in a in a year or two. But yeah, there's a lot of lot of things there. So I think um, key challenges, I think. Um, one was that uh, although we were like a product-led growth and inbound was the main thing, um, you can scale inbound marketing, but it's a bit slower paced. So you work with the SEO, you work with your content and really try to try awareness to that website and then all the way to the trial and paid. Um, but we saw that, um, you know, outbound and agency partnership channels could work for us. So 2000, around 2018, 2019, we introduced outbound and partnerships, uh, sales channels at the same time. And I think there, you know, the key challenge with outbound was that our average prices were very low since we we're inbound driven uh, from the get go. So, you know, our ACVs might have been around 2K a uh, year, for example. So you can't have SDR and account executive working with 2k deal for example so we had to introduce like a full cycle sales process so salesperson basically prospects themselves moves them to the free trial and then turns them into paid and i think um, their key lesson learned is is to really know your numbers look at the lifetime value the customer acquisition cost rates so that you are able to tell that this outbound is efficient like many people told me with those price rates it's not possible it's not capital efficient uh, but again with ldv and payback periods we could prove that yeah it's healthy so let's just push push more towards that and um, 
it's been working working pretty well ever ever since and uh agency partnerships uh was introduced around the same time so basically contacting marketing agencies who refer clients to us and and i think um key key lessons there is is just to like uh form a good partner program from the from the get-go i think we had a bit uh, like a i would say a vague one we didn't have a clear process that what do we require really from the partners so many of them you know became partners but became inactive immediately because there wasn't like enough incentive or enough urgency or enough handholding to really get them active so i think that's one good lessons learned from from there um if i think this journey from zero to ten i think still from my perspective the biggest learnings came from retention and customer success operation side so uh i think before you know let's say around that one to five million you can have pretty solid retention rates and you are growing pretty pretty nicely that you know 10 percent month month rate and uh over 100 percent a year everything is so great but then at some point you know you have the issue that okay customers are canceling uh why is this happening um and the retention rates don't look so great anymore so we had to look look at that from few perspectives one is the product we product needs to be able to activate the people and make them adopted already when they become paying customers but then even a bigger impact i think we saw was how we organized our customer success operation so um, before that time we really didn't have too many kpis or metrics for the customer success team they basically when they get a client in they try to get them on a phone and and you know try to have a call with them and check if everything is great um and um i think heavy focus shifted to towards that so we started tracking what so-called onboarding rate so we had a different like percentages goals for onboarding new clients per each tier that we have and uh, really saw that if we have a quality training in the first uh, 30 days when they become customers then we get rid of that early churn that was the issue during during that time so we had an issue that customers come in they are excited for one month but then they are not sure how to exactly use this or benefit and then just forget and cancel it so that's what we have attacked with this uh, onboarding uh, by the customer success team. Uh, we had renewal rates as a heavier focus, so CS team was responsible of, of renewing the accounts. Um, and then also up still this date, responsible of, of slight upsells too. So the main metric the CS team still looks is the net churn and net retention rates. Um, and um, of course, they have somewhat control on the on the cross churn side so how many people cancel but uh, what they can affect even more is the net net side so able to for example in our case sell extra websites or extra paid services on top for the existing clients so i think all of that worked proved out to work really really well and we've been able to better our retention rates um all the time and, and i think this has been a key piece in in reaching the 10 million ar level uh, because um, if you have high churn rates, it's, it becomes real, real hard. How have you learned to be a good CRO um, with the business? Is it just by, by doing? Um, 
watching talks at Sastock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, honestly, Sastock helped, helped some bits because the content was great. And, you know, back in 2016, 17, I was very junior in this business still. So I had to kind of learn by doing all the time. But then once, once I got to Sastock the first time, then I really saw how the world class is doing things and that's kind of like when it first hit me that okay like these people are doing it on this level i want to do it also on this level so that was sort of a key thing for me already at lead feeder from the beginning that i want to be best in the world in this space that we are competing in um and um yeah like learning by doing heavily but uh also like benchmarking who is doing similar business models than we are doing and and how they are doing things like uh studied how Mark Birch from HubSpot is, is building, you know, inbound models or sales team compensation or marketing co team compensation. So I think you always need to have some sort of little inspiration with those. And, and when I was listening into SaaS talk recordings or at the event, like, uh, even though there might be, for example, 90% of the presentation is something you're doing already, there's always one thing that kind of starts thinking that, hey, we could maybe improve this this area of, of the business with that. And, and um, I think those things keep me alert and, and learning, learning all the time. Um, I think other things like being super data driven and numbers focused from the beginning has has helped me to scale up all the way from that early years to you know over 10 million and and you know investor conversations are really different during those time periods too so that that has helped me to be prepared basically with with any number of questions i i get um and of course um you know <laughs> 2016 is just me responsible of myself now i'm responsible of, of 60 60 people so half of the company so it's a lot of uh human human skills understanding different cultures how to communicate with people in europe versus us what are the techniques and and you just need to understand your team members and and uh, i think um, that's also one one sort of lessons learned that i've been trying to improve all the time and having a real connection with with the people who I work with. If you could go back to when you joined the business from what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> yeah, um, what would I say? Um, don't trust the big, like huge tech companies too much. So for example, um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a really great relationship with Google, for example, but, uh, you know, I think one of a half years ago, I said before, like we were fully like pulling the data from Google Analytics and um, it's a big organization. So, of course, like can't expect too much response time or updates. But um, I said, like we had, I think at that point we had five or five thousand paying customers and uh, then suddenly one day, just one field was gone from their APIs and no explanation and never had it afterwards. But that basically means that none of our clients got any data anymore. So all of our customers, basically the lead feeder went broken. Um, luckily, we had a backup. So we had our own script. So then we 
you know, work for a month to switch our own script to all of our clients' websites. So that was a big uh, lessons learned war story that we went through, but uh, we went through it really, really well. And I think it made us made us stronger. But um, sometimes I think, yeah, the main lessons learned is that don't build your product fully on top of somebody else, that you are fully dependent on somebody else's business. That's uh, That's a risky risky business always no, definitely uh, good advice there uh, what are some of the top resources that you would recommend for founders or, or CROs uh, on this journey consume all all like uh, SaaS stock materials you can you can find um, you know SaaS focused podcasts from from Spotify those that I, I, I like to listen a lot when I'm walking or, or jogging or biking or whatever YouTube still surprisingly good good source for for video content so you know go there use b2b SaaS, whatever extra words i i've looked at mart Burge videos from there for example um those are always good way to self self-learn um and yeah like now you can take part in online events but uh, once once we re- recover to the live events then i would um say that those live events and learning from people face to face are also really important ones like we said, really looking forward to live uh, in person coming back uh, next year. Um, well, great stuff, uh, Jakob. Been uh, uh, great to, to speak to you. Um, we'll hopefully get to see you in Helsinki some later this year, uh, if not for sure in, in Dublin, Sassock uh, uh, next year, next October. Um, if you, I mean, I guess, kind of final question: How long are you planning to get to 100 million? And if you don't get there, are you going to fire yourself? <laughs> It's a great question. I think uh, at this point, it would be healthy to say that we try to roughly double the business every year. So, you know, give us, give us, let's say, four four years and, and we'll get there. Um, and if we don't, then yeah, sure, I'm going to fire myself at that point if we are unsuccessful. We look forward to speaking to you in four years' time. <laughs> I'll speak to you uh, every year on the way. But um, we'll, we'll have that chat again before his time. Um, but good luck with it. Uh, congrats, uh, no mean feat, getting to 10 million ARR. Uh, really pleased to see that. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for sharing uh, on the SaaS Revolution show uh, with the SaaS.com community. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.